Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, SVP of Commerce at Razorfish, and Scott Wingo, founder and executive chairman of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 138 being recorded on Monday, July 30th, 2018. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, and as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. Well, last week, the big news in e-commerce was Amazon's second quarter results, but we didn't get a chance to cover it live because, Jason, you were down under. I was. I was in the future in Australia. I know. Isn't that wild? Uh, you you cross the time zone when you go there, and then you, you lose a day when you come back. Isn't, or, yeah, I do. It's so very I, strange. I assume I'm now even. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you, if you keep going, though, one direction, um, you'll either turn time backwards like Superman 2, or uh, I don't know. You'll arrive younger than when you left. Yeah, I could certainly use that, uh, but I'm not currently, that's not a feeling I'm currently experiencing. Cool. Before we jump into Amazon's second quarter deep dive, give us some highlights of what you saw in Australia. And, uh, you know, since we're theming on Amazon here, let's start there. Amazon uh, has launched in Australia, uh, and I imagine that the Aussies are really fired up about that. Yeah, so I feel like that is the big change slash disruption in the um, local retail market. Um, I would also, I also feel like the, the sort of recovery from the global financial crisis has changed circumstances in Australia a little bit, but it's a, it's an interesting market. Um, it's for me, it felt a little bit like a time warp. Like I was going back in time a couple of years in retail. Um, they're, they're not as overstored as we are. So, uh, malls are still like a pretty popular concept. Like they don't have too many. And so the overwhelming majority of malls are sort of the equivalent of what we'd call an A mall here. Um, and that's a, a growing in popularity shopping concept there. In fact, like there's a premise that the traditional uh, department stores in, in Australia are suffering a little bit because people are choosing uh, to shop multiple manufacturer stores in a mall versus going to a department store. Um, but overall, uh, it's a time warp for two reasons. Number one uh, is, Scott, I think you already know, um, it's an odd market in that a lot of uh, international retailers didn't protect their IP rights um, in the early days. And so entrepreneurs from Australia would travel abroad, they would see some interesting retail concept, and they would bring it an unlicensed version of it to Australia on their own. So you'll see lots of familiar brands for North American shoppers like Target and Kmart, um, Woolworths, but they're, they're not, and the branding may even feel very similar to what you would expect in the U S but they're not in any way related to or associated with the North American companies. And in some ways it's a bizarre world. So, um, like, you know, Kmart is probably more vibrant in Australia than Target, for example, which feels a little uh, bizarre for anyone that's used, used to North America where that's that's definitively not the case. Um, so so the retail brands, uh, it takes a little bit of time to get your head around because they're familiar and yet foreign. Um, and then, you know, I think historically the market just hasn't had a lot of competition. Like most of the Australian retailers have had to compete with each other. But there's not a huge number of them, so they they don't have direct overlap. Like you don't tend to have two or three brands with the same product assortment and the same price points. Like you know, you tend to have a a retailer in every price point or a category killer in the in the category. So you have like an Office Works um, as the category killer for Office products, but they don't have a direct competitor like like Office Depot, Office Max have with Staples here, for example. Um, and then until recently. The, the currency exchange rate really uh, sucked. And so you didn't you also didn't have Australian consumers shopping internationally via e-commerce. And so really, those consumers were kind of locked in to, to the local choice. There's not there were not a lot of international retailers in market. There's a lot of international brands in market, but not a lot of wholesalers of other people's stuff. 
And so I would argue that the market just didn't evolve really fast. And now you've got Amazon coming in there, um, which is a big disruption. And you have much more favorable uh, exchange rates. So you have Australian consumers shopping Tmall in Hong Kong and, and uh, shopping, you know, ASOS in, in the UK and doing cross-border commerce and things like that. So suddenly there's a lot of competition. Suddenly they're all getting much more heavily disrupted and they're all trying to figure out a lot of the digital things and omni-channel things um, that retailers, you know, were more likely to be struggling with, you know, two to five years ago here in North America. So it's, it, uh, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. When, um, so Channel Advisor, full disclosure, we have an office in Melbourne and it's a good region for us. Uh, and uh, Amazon coming has been great for us. The one thing we've seen a ton of is there's a lot of Chinese imports into Australia. And uh, it frustrates the Australians because they have this weird kind of – this is kind of topical because of the news. They have this weird thing where you can sell anything into Australia for $1,000 and under and there's no tariff. But then Aussies can't sell to China um, without – Tariffs. So there's like this huge disadvantage and, and it really always frustrates the third party sellers. I know there that uh, anything can come into the country for under a thousand dollars without any kind of a, uh, a there's there's some kind of tax benefit almost like they don't pay Australian tax on it or something. Uh, and but then they always had a hard time um, exporting out of Australia. So uh, did you hear anything around that or? or yeah. That so I, I feel like there there's a number of those sorts of things. And and, you know, Australia really is part of Asia um, uh, and is, you know, there's it's a very international population. And so there, there's a lot of um, Asian expats in Australia. And so there's there's, you know, it's it's not just proximity to the good deals. Like there's a lot of, you know, uh, Asian brands um, that, that appeal to a big chunk of the local market in Australia. Um, they're also, though, amongst people, uh, people that. Are, are multi-generations in Australia, there is this strong um, sort of national pride thing. So I, I almost feel like uh, they're, they're very, they're, they're more opposed to outsourcing jobs and they're, they're more favorable to uh, made in Aussie brands and products than some other markets. Now, like in all markets, we see that, that those kind of stated preferences, you know, go away when, when there's economic pressure. So I'm not saying Australians won't buy cheap goods from China, but I'm just saying they maybe put a little more weight on local stuff than do Americans, for example. Cool. The other thing I've noticed in Australia is pretty much everything will kill you. Did you uh, run into that at all? Uh, I, I was aware of that, but I did not run into that. Um, I did not see any locals <laughs> boxing with kangaroos. Um, I'm there may there probably were venomous spiders, but I'm happy to report I didn't see them, which is all I care about. Like I just want to die in my sleep and not be scared of the bejesus beforehand. Um, <laughs> and I was I was mostly in Melbourne and Sydney, which are you know big metropolitan cities. So I I uh, I imagine the density of things that can kill you is uh, more skewed towards public transportation and less to critters. I was on the Gold Coast and like I was, I thought, oh, I'll go to the beach for half an hour or something. And that like every other sign was like, you know, warning riptides, warning sharks, warning life threatening jellyfish, poison man o' wars, warning piranha. It was like, okay, I, I don't think I'm going to go in the water yeah. ever in Australia. No, I think I think it's a legitimate fact that there are there are like more deadly species in Australia than anywhere else, and I think that's particularly like the snakes and the venomous spiders. And then, as you mentioned, a lot of the the aquatic life. Yeah, and the, uh, I couldn't tell 100% if they were yanking my chain, but the folks in the office were telling me there's a venomous spider that hangs out in toilets. And like all Australians, when they go to the toilet, they will actually do a visual inspection for this spider because it will actually bite you in the bum and it can kill you, which is like a terrible way to get, die. Yeah, well, I don't know that we'll ever know this, but either they were totally yanking your chain or my hosts were much more happy for me to die because <laughs> I, I was not warned about that. Um, although I did, coincidentally, I did look in every toilet because I was, I was constantly making videos trying to get some that were flushing counterclockwise in it. Oh, yeah. Nice. Let's all we'll have to put those on the uh, show notes for everybody. Exactly. Yeah. The toilet videos. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's like cow tipping. <laughs> Cool. Any other uh, exciting Australia highlights? Uh, nope. I mean, people were super nice. Uh, had a ton of great conversations with retailers, and I, I do think um, 
they care a lot about the customer experience and they care about winning in this um, sort of heightened competitive market that they're now in. Um, but, you know, just uh, circumstances, they, they haven't had the impetus to change quite as quickly as, as uh, some other markets. So, uh, Cool. Well, let's jump right into the big Amazon news with the Q2 deep dive. Amazon News. Your margin is their opportunity. Awesome. So there's a lot to go through. So we're going to kind of take what I call a peel the onion approach and start at the macro level and then look at the different lines of business within Amazon. We're going to look at the cloud segment, the ad business, uh, and then the U.S. and international retail businesses, as well as the third party marketplace. Um, That's a lot to cover. So let's jump in. From a macro standpoint, the big story of Q2 was the bottom line. Uh, And in fact, the top line was a little bit below analyst estimates. And part of that was due to there's a lot of rule changes going on in the world of accounting, which is causing uh, every company a lot of heartache. Uh, I'm intimate with this, unfortunately. There's this new accounting principle, 606, which is making every everyone revisit how they look at their different revenue things. So Amazon had to move some stuff from 1P to 3P, which creates a revenue headwind because in 3P, they only count about 10% of the revenue because it's their uh, commission. Uh, And then in 1P, they count 100%. Um, So in fact, Amazon actually missed the top line. So usually if that happens, you see this whole, you know, cratering of the stock. But then uh, that didn't happen here because what happened is operating income blew away expectations. So it came in at um, $2.98 billion. So that's the third quarter that operating income was over $2 billion, and it was just a shy close to $3 billion. You know, um, what would that be? Uh, $2 million short, short of that. Um, that's a 375% year-over-year increase in operating income. And then every segment Amazon reports on improved their profitability as well, and we'll cover that as we get in. Uh, that represents a 5.6% margin, and expectations was for $1.7 billion. So this was 77% above expectations, which at these numbers is you know $1.2 billion more than Wall Street was expecting. And historically, what that has meant at Amazon is I kind of call it the stair-step effect. So Amazon will – you know they'll uh, they'll climb the stair and profits will go down. And what they're doing is uh, this business is very capital expenditure heavy, right? So you have uh, the big capex is fulfillment centers, which are not cheap, and data centers, which are also not cheap. So Amazon unfortunately has to build both because they're they're those are the two core pieces of what they're building. So you can imagine Amazon will go through a phase where they'll build like. 20 fulfillment centers and 20 uh, distribution centers, and they'll look massively unprofitable. But then as those come online and they optimize them and they get to, to capacity, then revenue starts to kind of the, – the CapEx stare goes sideways and profit starts to climb. And then Amazon will kind of you know go through another phase of, of harvesting – profits. And then after that, they'll say, oh, we need more data centers and fulfillment centers, and they'll have to kind of keep chewing away at it. So we're in one of those cycles now um, that that we're kind of harvesting investment. And what's interesting is as they're climbing these stairs, every time they take a breather, the profitability is going up pretty materially. And they're doing it against such a big number. You know, so you know, normally people would scoff at a 5.6% total margin, but they're doing it against a top line that, you know, massively large. So $3 billion squirts out of the bottom of that equation, which is, which is pretty incredible. Uh, so, so that was kind of, uh, everyone was pretty giddy about that, to be honest with you. They've, they, you know, they haven't really kind of had a beat of this level in a very long time. Um, and then there was, there was this interesting backdrop that happened. You were in Australia, so I don't know if you picked up on this, but there's this, this whole kind of thing that's been out there called Fang. Um, so that's Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. And uh, Google had pretty good results. Uh, 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 obviously, Amazon did. And then Netflix 
kind of had a little bit of a bad result set there. They missed their subscriber growth number. Uh, and then Facebook had a really, really, really bad week last week. So um, they they have, they kind of got on their conference call. So their revenue and profits missed. And they got on a conference call and essentially said, look, we're going to reset expectations. It was kind of what on Wall Street they call a kitchen sink quarter. So the stock was immediately down 20%. And unfortunately, that kind of held there. So there was this whole thing coming into Amazon was, was the FANG trade broken? Um, so it was kind of interesting to see Amazon really kind of print a great quarter and blow away everyone's expectations. Facebook sort of put the uh, F into FANG, if you will. Absolutely, yes. Uh, Google kind of messed it up because they changed their name to Alphabet, but everyone still calls it Fang. But it's it should be you know either Fana. Fan or whatever. Fana. Fana, I don't. <laughs> um, the uh, another kind of interesting uh, tidbit here: subscription services, which is where Prime lives. Uh, there's a couple other subscriptions in there that you can buy, um, but that it's primarily Prime revenue uh, that accelerated to 55% year over year growth, which was good. Um, and then longtime listeners of the show will know uh, operating income and revenue are the measuring sticks that most other companies use. But Amazon really uses thinks of that as a lagging indicator. And what they really focus on is, is more of a forward indicator. And it kind of has to do with the stair step kind of, uh, you know, analogy I introduced, and that's free cash flow. And what free cash flow does is it, it kind of is an earlier way through the accounting rules to kind of predict where profitability is going to come in. Um, so let, let me kind of walk you through that. And I'm going to try to, this always gets a little confusing. So I think I've tried to boil it down here. So when you, when you just take what I would call I, I think of it as a waterfall, right? So at the top of the waterfall, you have just pure free cash flow. And that was about $22 billion, massive amounts of free cash flow. But then they go and they invest more in CapEx, right? Because Amazon's never off this treadmill of investing in CapEx. It's just the, the amount of it. Um, so this quarter, they invested only $11.4 billion in CapEx, which is hilarious because that's probably more than people are spending in like the last 10 years for like most retailers, but that's, that's, you know, so it was a light investment quarter through only 11.4 billion. So that leaves you with kind of 10.4 billion in free cash flow after the CapEx investments. Then they've gone out and they have, um, you know, some of these things that they buy, they buy outright and other ones, they lease land and whatnot to try to smooth out the the cash outlay for data centers and fulfillment centers, along with more of when the revenue comes in. So they have 6.3 billion of that they paid back in the quarter. So really when you net all that out, the quarter, um, which is free cash flow without lease, when you take out lease principal repayments was 4.1 billion. Um, so those are kind of the, you know, the metrics Amazon spends a lot of time thinking about. And what you could argue is, that that biggest number I gave you, that twenty one billion, is really what Amazon focuses on because, you know, if you kind of go to this, take a region like the United States, there there's they're getting to the point where they really don't have to build that many more fulfillment centers, and and in fact, the profitability of, the, of North America really kind of popped this quarter. We'll talk about it because of this. They're they're essentially at saturation. So when you get to saturation with some of these things, that free cash flow number at the top of that waterfall becomes the number because you pay off the CapEx, you pay off the leases. Now you've got all these fulfillment centers there producing and the free cash flow flows all the way to the bottom line. So over the long term, you should see that gap between about the $3 billion operating income and the $22 billion free cash flow close as a, a market matures. And that's what gets Wall Street so so kind of terribly excited about Amazon is these free cash flow numbers are, are, are pretty amazing. And Amazon, while they're investing, you know, I started at $21.8 billion in free cash flow and ended up with four. So there's a lot of investment in there, like $17 billion worth of investment. When there's a day where they're not making those investments, it's just going to be a massively kind of cash generating business, which, uh, which is funny. We talk about it a lot on the show. There's still this overwhelming belief out there that either A, uh, all of Amazon isn't profitable or that B, the retail business is sustained just by the cloud business. None of that's true. The retail business on its own is profitable, um, especially in North America and international. It's still losing money, but that's because uh, you know certain markets, specifically India and China, are probably not profitable yet. They don't split them out, but I think it's pretty safe to assume there's markets like the UK and Europe where they're probably look a lot like the US. They're pretty mature, but then there's a lot of markets, uh, including Australia even. You know, I, I bet Amazon isn't profitable in Australia. Um, so um, 
just want to make sure we dispel the you know that that whole incorrect urban legend that Amazon or its retail business are not profitable. Yeah, for sure. And uh, Scott, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but e- even if they wanted to keep investing at this same pace, like there there is a scale problem, right? Like as, as you keep growing that top line cash flow that fast, like there comes a point when you just can't make their, uh, the CapEx investments at that same at that same growth scale, if you will. So some people would even say like the stair step isn't necessarily intentionally that they're taking profits, but just that it, it takes them more time to retool and, and scale the investments at the same pace that their, their, uh, their top line revenue is scaling. Absolutely. Yeah. And then you have some, uh, you know, so the, the most exciting line of business we'll talk about is ads and you and I both are, are intimately familiar with this world. Um, the nice thing about ads is it, it doesn't require any CapEx, right? So it's, it, it actually possibly could be the most profitable line of business that Amazon has. Uh, and I, I think, uh, even though Amazon is closing in on a trillion dollar business, I think there's probably there could be a trillion dollar business there that a lot of people haven't woken up to um, because unlike all the Amazon other businesses, it doesn't need data centers and it doesn't need fulfillment centers and it rides on top of those. So it gets this kind of triple flywheel effect um, from those investments that Amazon's making. Yeah. Although uh, this last reporting period, you probably didn't want ads to be the the dominant source of income you had because uh, that that probably didn't serve Facebook super well. Yeah, and one one sidebar is I, I've kind of been thinking. Uh, there's been a lot of interesting writing about this. If you're Facebook, and so Twitter is also in this same bucket. Um, Netflix will go and and it's it's on it. It'll that was just a little blip in subscriber growth. I don't think that was a big deal. But but both Twitter and Facebook, their core model is under attack, right? Because uh, you have this whole um, you know this the pendulum is swinging very far away, uh, very far towards privacy with GDPR, the whole Cambridge Analytica thing. Um, and, you know, so their core model is kind of under attack where they're essentially saying, give us your data for free and we'll monetize it by selling it to other people, uh, which which sounds weird when I say it like that. But that's effectively what they've been doing all this time. And, uh, you know, so you have to I have to imagine somewhere in those boardrooms, people are like, we really need to find an e-commerce leg, you know, kind of a, of revenue here. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Facebook and, and Twitter get a lot more serious about e-commerce revenue because transactional revenue is way cleaner f- from political kind of misgivings than, than ad revenue. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, I, I, I mean, there a ton was written about Facebook, but I, I don't know if you follow, uh, John Oliver, uh, but, uh, he, he has the, uh, last week tonight show on HBO and he did a, uh, hysterical, honest version of the Facebook ad <laughs> that, uh, 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 can't, uh, completely describe in our, our PG rated podcast, but, uh, uh, you, you should, you can find it, uh, all over the internet and it's, it's definitely worth a watch. It's pretty funny. Uh, but the punchline of the whole ad is Facebook. We own who you are. <laughs> yeah. Uh so at the very top line for Amazon the growth was pretty big right so it was 37% um year over year growth on the revenue and you know remember revenue for 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 uh, Amazon doesn't exactly equate to e-commerce GMV because they they do have some other businesses and and the revenue is a mix of 1P and 3P but 37% growth um you know, for a company their size, you know, we we always highlight on the show that that uh, the Department of Commerce and Comscore sort of estimate all e-commerce growth in North America at about a fifteen percent growth rate. So you you have the the biggest company in the space that represents more than half of all the activity in uh, the space, and they're still growing at more than twice the the average growth rate, which is pretty scary. Yeah, and a lot of people are starting to kind of wake up to this, and you've you've, you've probably seen all the headlines that you know uh, Amazon was half of e-commerce and that kind of thing, which, which is true. Um, but if e-commerce is growing at fifteen percent and Amazon is growing at thirty-seven percent, then you know next stop sixty-five percent, seventy-five percent, eighty-five percent, ninety-five percent. So, <laughs> um, which always we 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 brought this up on the show, but this this stat always makes me think, you know, we'll we'll later we'll see, you know. 
eBay grew pretty decently, like eight, nine percent. Um, but then we'll always hear from Walmart and Target and those kind of guys that they're growing 30 percent. Shopify's GMV is growing 30 percent. And it always becomes this kind of question of who is who is growing at negative in the e-commerce to kind of generate this 15%. I always come back to that when I, when I, when I start to hear all these things come out in the quarterly reports, I, I don't, I don't have a great answer for that. You know, we, we've talked to folks that, that fundamentally believe the numbers are wrong out there and they don't trust that 15%. So we'll, we'll leave that to listeners to kind of decide. The, um, the last little thing on the top level here is, uh, uh, at, you know, wall street, uh, you know, very quickly says, wow, that was great Q2. Tell me about Q3. So it's very much a, a show me, show me kind of a world there. Uh, and they do that through guidance. So Amazon's guidance for Q3 was a little light on revenue. And I think that this again was due to this kind of optical move from some stuff from 1P to 3P. But then the profit guide they gave to Wall Street was wildly ahead of their estimates. Um, and this is why you see, you know, in the, in the world of Wall Street, you call this a beat and raise quarter. Um, and that's essentially what Amazon did is they, not only did they beat in Q2, but they, all the analysts had to scramble and go out and say, Hmm, the whole world of profitability at Amazon has changed. What does that do for our models? And many of these models are built off of operating income and free cash flow. So, you know, I saw, I saw price targets out there, um, 2,000, 2,100 and 2,200. I think the highest I saw was 2,300. Uh, and remember right around 2,000, um, is when Amazon hits trillion dollars. So, you know, this is the kind of momentum, uh, here that that's pretty interesting, um, to see if this is what catapults Amazon there. I don't think they'll quite get there. Um, but you know, when Q3 comes out, I think Amazon, all indications are from third parties out there that they had a blow away prime day. And, you know, that could be if they kind of beat and raise in Q3 on top of this, uh, and especially on the bottom line, then we could get to that trillion dollars by, let's see, we'll have to July. So it'll probably be. August 20 to 23 or October 20 to 23 is probably when they'll announce Q3. Uh, and I bet that may be when we kind of see the first trillion dollar company. Yeah. And that's a great reminder to me that we need to get started on the uh, trillion dollar sound effect that we'll need for the podcast when that happens. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have Jeff on. It'll be a big celebration, big party. Exactly. I know he keeps asking, but that maybe would be the occasion to, to finally let him on the show. Um, so one of the businesses in this number is, of course, Amazon Web Services. Um, and, you know, if e-commerce is doing pretty well against its competition, Amazon Web Services is doing even better. Right. And as you as you mentioned, you know, one of the, the common myths is that this is the only profitable part of Amazon that sort of carries the retail part. Um, but as a reminder, like this service launched and really had like a seven year head start before they developed any serious competition. And today you have uh, Microsoft and Google in particular, you know, uh, fighting hard to catch up. Um, but they're literally seven years behind. And I, I, I think there's a Warren Buffett quote, you know, something to the effect of you really don't want to spot Jeff Bezos, a seven year head start on anything. <laughs> yeah, I saw um, that. It's great. Which is a, a, a pretty good quote. Um, so, you know, again, the circumstance going into this is that Amazon Web Services is way larger than all of their competition combined. Um, and so normally you'd expect uh, that's great, but it should probably be harder for them to you know keep growing at this pace. Um, and the bad news for their competitors is uh, they did keep growing at that pace. And in fact, their their rate of growth is still slightly accelerating. So. So they had like 6.1 billion in in uh, revenue for AWS. That's a 49% year over year growth, which is an acceleration of of uh, 100 basis points from Q1. Um, and you know that puts them at like a 24 billion dollar uh, run rate. Um, and the operating margins are getting better. So so operating margins for the quarter went up like 120 basis points. Uh, you know so you got margins improving on a big growth um when you're already like the the huge market leader um and so that's that's you know pretty impressive and for sure those profit margins 
uh, are much higher than you typically see in any kind of retail and certainly higher than we see in e-commerce or, or Amazon. So, you know, they've, they're pretty consistently in the 20 to 25% operating margins, um, for the, for the last three years on, on Amazon web services, which is a much more healthy margin than you're going to see in a, in a retail business. Yeah, as a uh, as a super geeky, a fellow super geeky guy, I saw one uh, analyst that, that did this kind of cool kind of thinking on this. Um, Amazon discloses some of the workload data. Um, so workload, you know, so if if AWS is growing at forty nine percent, workloads I think are growing at like sixty seventy percent. So what's happening is they are getting better at uh, optimizing the data centers and handling those workloads with less capex uh, i imagine some of that's moore's law that kind of kicks in there but you know i'm sure there's some technology too i'm sure they're getting good at you know how do you spread these things across the uh, data centers um you know uh how do you buy more commodity hardware there's a lot of rumors that they were going to compete with cisco because they build their own network they do software kind of networking infrastructure instead of hardware um so they were so they they were able to handle uh, a tremendous amount of workload growth um, convert that into revenue but then increase margins because they got more efficient inside of the data center layer there and, and the cloud services they're providing. Um, they're also seeing really good, you know, there's this whole family of things people can use. And, and uh, you know, on the conference call, they talked about, they don't get specifics, but they, they were very pleased, which means, you know, in kind of Amazon body language, hmm, must have been more than 10% kind of a thing, um, you know, of, of cloud customers expanding into some of these new services they have. So they have a lot of new schemeless database technologies, uh, BI, uh, call center technologies, and machine learning and AI. And they, they're they seeing um, a lot of customers expand into those things, which is, which is you know, means more revenue per customer as well. Uh, but they don't really totally disclose that um on your warren buffett quote uh one analyst uh, had a clever thing it's kind of funny they run out of superlatives here so he essentially kind of said i mean dang they uh they added an azure uh, which is microsoft's cloud and a google cloud platform just in the last year so they've you know they're uh, just like you know every quarter they add like four or five jc pennies on on the gmv side uh they're they're lapping those guys so bad that they're you know, their year over year number added kind of a just, you know, the year over year growth uh, exceeded the two top competitors, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, it, it's pretty scary. The and I, I, I hesitate to even call it a stumble. The one slight bit of negative PR I've seen lately has to do with one of those AI services. They have a facial recognition service and there was a little bit of a stir uh, somebody used the Amazon facial recognition ser service and ran it against Congress, um, and it sort of misidentified like 150 of the congressmen as uh, criminals. And like, I'm not sure anyone did the fact checking. Like, it's possible that that's just true. It sounds like to me, but I, uh, I'm assuming from the articles that that was a mistake. Um, like, I, I, you know, that really has nothing to do with Amazon Web Services. It's kind of the state of the the technology and the databases that all these guys use to train uh, facial recognition. But, but I did see them get some slightly negative buzz there. And then of course it is interesting. Retail is the one segment where you would expect um, AWS to have a little bit of headwinds because Amazon is such a successful retailer. If you are another big retailer that's buying cloud services, um, it, it, it wouldn't be surprising to see them, you know, skip Amazon, even though they are the dominant player. And we are starting to see that a little bit. Like it was more a press release than than any actual activity. But on Prime Day this year, uh, Walmart announced a big partnership with Microsoft Azure um, for data services. And I, you know, I, I presume that was designed to somehow take some of the steam out of Prime Day, which, like, you know, I, I would argue wasn't wasn't very successful. Um, and then I know uh, Google Cloud Platform Services just had their annual conference, and one of the big announcements there was that that. Uh, uh, apparently for some time target has been uh uh one of the main tenants on uh, on google cloud platform services so so it is true we're starting to see some of the big retailers adopt some of the other clouds but to your point like in the in the overall economic uh picture it's it's not making even a tiny little dent 
Uh, so moving on to another business that's not as big as Amazon Web Services, but pretty interesting, uh, is the emerging advertising business on Amazon. Um, and so, you know, as, as regular listeners will know, there's a bunch of different formats of of marketing opportunities that sellers can buy on the Amazon platform to improve visibility for their product. Um, and so that that generates advertising revenue for Amazon. And uh, uh, Scott, keep me honest here. But they they lump that revenue into a kind of miscellaneous bucket they call other revenue, and I I, I think we're all uh, largely assuming that the bulk of of quote unquote other revenue is this ad business, but it, but there are some other pieces of of, uh, of revenue in that bucket as well. Do I have that right? You do, and and it's kind of confusing. So they they give you some uh, tidbits on revenue and breakout ads inside of other, and then like I mentioned, subscription services. But because those things aren't quote unquote material part of Amazon's business, the SEC doesn't require them to break them out in a, in their entirety. So ads end up being in North American international, but AWS is all the way out uh, because it's pulled out as its own kind of operating its own P and L, if you will, its own like line of business. Um, but ads. We only know the top line. We don't know the profitability. I think we all assume it's probably, you know, it's hard for it not to be very profitable. Yeah. 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 What is the extent? There is no expense. It's like they already have the traffic and it's just kind of like almost pure profit, I would imagine. Um, uh, So. So, yeah, you're right. Yeah. So that so the number for that other revenue grew one hundred and twenty nine percent. So so huge year over year growth. Um, And I think Cowan came out and said that. uh, their estimate for the annual revenue from this advertising service is now 8.6 billion in uh, uh, for 2018, um, and you know when they sort of forecast that out, they're they're forecast, forecasting that that could be a 37 billion dollar business uh, by 2023, which is uh, acceleration over over their previous estimate from just a couple months ago. Um, yeah, and that's a Facebook. So this business will grow to be a Facebook by 2023 in five years. And, you know, he they had to nudge their numbers up because it's outperforming what what they're seeing there. So now we used to say in Amazon fashion, they could pull that in a year. You know, so in four years, they could have added a Facebook. Yeah. Now, generally, when people tell that story, they remind you that that uh, that's a 2017 or 2018 Facebook and that 2023 Facebook will probably also be a lot larger uh, but that's maybe less obvious this this week than it was last week. Um, so so that is certainly interesting. Um, not really related to their their announcement, but there is other data out there to just sort of highlight uh, what a what an interesting business this is. You know, if you're doing a search on the Amazon platform, by definition, you have really high purchase intent. So the ads on that platform. Are are likely to have a direct res- are much more likely to have a direct response than ads on almost any other other advertising vehicle, um, and so you know Merkel uh, consolidate the data from all their clients um, every quarter, and they publish this this great uh, compendium of, of marketing stats, and they they were talking a little bit about the efficacy of like one of the signature ad formats on Amazon, which is the Amazon headline search ad. So there's an ad that shows up at the top of search. Um, and they're saying that, like, comparing that to a Google PLA, which is one of the, the most commerce-friendly ad formats on Google, that Amazon headline search get 42% more clicks and convert three and a half times uh, better than Google PLAs. So that's, like, you know, partly a definition of the, of the shopping traffic that Amazon gets versus the more, you know, browsing and, and general information traffic that, that Google gets. But um, – you know, if if their revenue gets anywhere like Amazon or Facebook's advertising revenue, um, it's it's revenue that has a much clearer ROI for the ad purchaser um, than some of the that the ads that are purchased on the other platforms where you have to believe that influence is eventually going to translate to purchases. Uh, so I, I think that's that's super interesting. Um, and then, you know, somewhat in line with the other digital ad platforms like Google and Facebook, it's becoming increasingly clear that Amazon's very interested in fostering a direct relationship with the big ad spenders. Um, and they're really trying to bypass 
the traditional agencies. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I work for one of those agencies. Uh, like that's, you know, definitely not good news for that sort of old ab, uh, revenue stream uh, for the big, big digital agencies, um, as it, it increasingly seems obvious that, you know, if there's only a handful of these big digital advertising platforms and they make themselves really friendly to the advertisers, they, you know, they can make it uh, difficult for the for middlemen to add much value. Very cool. So those are the um, that's the cloud and the ad highlights, uh, which are, are, you know, driving substantial beats here. Uh, and then let's dig into the retail side. So on the third party side, revenue from third party seller services grew 36 percent year over year, uh, which is down slightly, uh, which it was about 40 percent a year ago. Uh, so, you know, just kind of a scale kind of slowing down, I think. But again, you know, third parties are growing 36 percent year over year is not too shabby in a world of 15 percent. Uh, and in fact, when you when you think about it, if third party is growing, that fast, then uh, overall online sales for Amazon were, were about 18%. Um, first party is growing uh, a fair bit slower. So the third party part of, of Amazon is growing substantially. Uh, in fact, Amazon does report uh, the unit volume mix, and the unit volume mix hit a new high water mark in Q2 of 53%. And it was interesting. It, it kind of uh, when you look at it over time, uh, at Q1 17, it hit kind of this equilibrium of 50%. And it stayed in that range uh, all the way through 2017. And then here in 2018, it's really kind of started to ramp up. I think some of that was uh, a couple things. So I, I think Amazon always loves for 3P to go through FBA if possible, because that's the best user experience and it's prime eligible. So I, I think Amazon in, in 17 had uh, vastly underestimated the the popularity of FBA um, with third parties. So, so they built a, a lot uh, of fulfillment centers globally and specifically in the U.S. to kind of catch up. So it feels to me at the same time they had some policies to kind of help drain some of the slower moving stuff out of FBA. So I feel like they kind of used 2017 as a catch up um, to get FBA right sized uh, again, kind of using that stair step methodology and profits took a hit from that. And now we're really seeing 3P ramp up because uh, I think there's a lot more room in FBA to drive things. Uh, I do my own proprietary analysis of this. Uh, and when I kind of peel apart uh, the quarter, I end up with first party at 37.6 billion, 71 billion for third party. So third party is getting to be almost as twice as big as first party. Um, so, so you're kind of looking at a 60-30 kind of split there. I mean, 65-35. Uh, and I have 3P GMV growing at 27% and 1P growing at 12%. Some of this move between 1P and 3P dilutes this a little bit. But adding those together, uh, you get $108 billion of GMV for the quarter, which I think is the right way to think of Amazon. And that puts them at a, you know, uh, north of a $400 billion GMV run rate, uh, which is essentially the size of Walmart. Um, when you kind of compare Amazon's GMV to Walmart's retail sales, which I think is the right comparison there. Uh, on the U.S. side, did you want to cover the U.S. side, Jason, or you want me to jump into that? Uh, sure. Uh, I'll hit the top line and uh, tell, uh, you can uh, add any any color. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, North American revenues um, continue to be really strong. Um, so they, uh, they were $32.2 billion for the quarter. Um, that's a 44% year over year increase. Um, and I, I think that basically hit the wall street expectation. Um, but they, you know, again, uh, you know, improved the operating margin. I think they beat their, uh, their, um, consensus estimates for the operating margin. Um, so again, uh, fast expected growth in growth in North, North America, um, and North America has been profitable. What's the number now? Is that 17 consecutive quarters or 11? It's yeah, some, I've, lo I've lost track, to be honest with you. Yeah, but so it's something <laughs> something in that range. Uh, uh, we're going we're gonna to call it 11, uh, 12 consecutive quarters of profitable growth in North America. So going back to, uh, uh, I'm sorry, of, of uh, positive profit in North America. Um, so that's, you know, going back to the, the sort of old wives tale that, that they're not profitable. Um, the retail business in North America on its own is a profitable business. 
Um, it's growing robustly. It's not super high margin um, as, you know, most most retail is not super high margin, but there's not very many retailers in North America um, that that wouldn't take uh, the last the last 11 quarters for for Amazon's business. So North America is a very robust retail business. Yeah. And um, if you look at the operating margin for that segment, and again, operating margin is really a trailing indicator. Free, free cash flow would be better, but they don't break it out by segment because they're not required to by the SEC. But it improved um, from 3.7% uh, you know, bottom line profitability to 57 uh, in, in Wall Street parlance, that's a 200 basis point increase, which is pretty material kind of quarter to quarter. So you're really starting to see them squeeze some some benefit there now some of that is coming from the ad revenue so the ad again the ad revenue does get mixed into this north america pnl um aws isn't because it's a separate segment um so you know it it, it is in there uh, and it's helping but it's maybe a third of the profit comes from the ad business uh but I don't think it's fair to separate that because those two things are very much more intimately connected than than AWS is essentially. Yeah, and the, I mean, reminder: the ad business wouldn't exist if they weren't uh, a, a retailer driving a bunch of traffic to that site to shop for stuff. Do you want to do international? No, I'm gonna uh, toss it to you for the cool accent. Yeah, yeah. Oh, thanks, uh, crikey. So. On the international side, if, if there's any kind of blemish on this quarter, uh, it was international and then maybe the top line kind of being a little light. Uh, but I think people kind of get the top line being a 1P to 3P move, and it, it actually drives profitability, so they're okay with it. Uh, so here, uh, international grew 21% year over year. I, I've read a fair amount of analysis on this, and it was largely due – I think they had a, a – a launch last year sometime that they're annualizing. So they had a tough comp in, in kind of Wall Street uh, slang. Um, but so it was a little bit light uh, on the top line from what people were expecting. But again, on the bottom line, it was good. It was pretty strong. So international has a loss. So it, it um, in Q1, the loss was 4.2%. And then this quarter, it was 3.4%. So again, kind of a really nice quarter-on-quarter quarter improvement. But this is clearly a part of Amazon that's losing money. And you know, for those folks that really want to find a piece, you found it. So the international business of Amazon is losing money right now. Um, it is improving its profitability pretty dramatically quarter-on-quarter. Quarter. So in Q4, it was down 5%, uh, you know, lost 5%. And then uh, back into 2017, it lost as much as 7%. So it's really kind of cut the losses in half in less than a year. Uh, and, you know, I think we'll see this get at this kind of pace. Uh, you could see international get profitable. It'd be a stretch to get there in 18, but maybe by mid 19. Now, uh, you know, if Amazon opens up Brazil in a more serious way. There's a lot of countries that are not in, um, and or they do some acquisitions. So they've added some things like Souk here um, that that could make it kind of go negative again. They they will do that because they see it as as such a big opportunity. Yeah, and I would just remind people if you're if uh, thinking about this in terms of a traditional retailer, um, very few retailers that are wholesalers of other people's stuff that sell third party product have been very successful at expanding internationally. So lots of retailers, you know, have success in their home market. They say, hey, we're kind of getting getting saturation here. We should expand in some other markets to grow our, our total addressable market. And they start opening stores in other markets. And more often than not, they fail utterly um, or at the very least aren't profitable. And so, like, I would argue if you pull branded manufacturers out that sell their own stuff – the the majority of retailers international operations are unprofitable and some much more wildly so than Amazon like i think in Amazon's case what we're still seeing is is an investment uh that hasn't paid off yet but there's you know e every reason to believe that it could just be early in the investment cycle um and i yeah. i think that compares favorably to a lot of traditional retail competitors yeah, and last thing here, um, you know, what Amazon's really good at is seeing something work in one market and rolling it out rapidly to others. I don't know, I haven't tracked personally where they are on the ads uh, and how they've rolled out, but I'm sure like in Australia, they don't have the ad platform active yet because they're just trying to get third parties ramped up. But, uh, you know, what you can bet is they're seeing the ad platform work really well in North America. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's, it's at parity, feature parity in England. 
but I don't think the rest of Europe has really been aggressively sold that. Um, uh, and then countries like India, you know, where uh, the this this type of a model, this kind of hybrid ad and marketplace model, is is much more prevalent in Asia. Alibaba really kind of pioneered this whole concept. Um, you could see, uh, you know, you could see international almost getting profitable on the back of rolling that ad platform out in a in an aggressive way uh, and getting it into all these countries where it's not, and then getting it penetrated more in, into the countries where it already is in English and whatnot. Um, so. That'll be interesting to watch, and it, it could even further because they don't kind of tell us the breakdown of of that other line. Um, you know, my bet would be it's probably eighty or ninety percent North America and very small international. And I would imagine the international side could be as big as the North America side, just kind of just naturally. So that ad business, we we could be vastly undersizing that ad business, even at kind of like that Facebook scale that that people are saying. Yeah. And I, I mean, I would argue that, that the ad business is as robust as it's getting. is still pretty immature, even in North America. So there's there's certainly lots of room there. Um, but, you know, this, this whole metaphor of a flywheel, like the one downside of a flywheel is it's hard to start pedaling in the beginning until you get the momentum. Right. And um, like in a lot of these markets, they're still doing that initial pedaling. Like in Australia, they really just launched Prime. So, you know, oh. A lot of the synergies that that all of these different systems that Amazon launches that ultimately turn into this, you know, juggernaut platform ecosystem, you know, aren't in play as much uh, in some of these new international countries as, as have already played out in North America. And so, like, over time, they the, those things could get fired up. You know, they could pour gas on prime signups in in Australia, for example. Um, and. Scott, it's going to shock you, but uh, it has happened again. We have used up all of our allotted time. We are at minute 50 of our 30-minute highlight show. Um, so <laughs> if you want to continue, the, but it was all valuable stuff, and I know all the listeners stuck with us. Um, so if you want to continue the conversation or you want to know what Scott would have talked about if I gave him 10 more minutes, uh, you can jump over to Facebook and uh, drop us a question, and we're, we're happy to have a dialogue there. Um, as always, if, if uh, this episode was helpful to you, um, we sure would appreciate it if you jump on iTunes and give us that five-star review. Thanks for joining us, everyone. We are going to be at ETail in Boston, ETail East. So drop us a message, tweet us, Facebook us, whatever your preferred method of communication is. And we'd love to meet up with some of the listeners while we're there. That would be awesome. And until next time, happy commercing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com.